0: Wildwood Community Church exists to glorify God by connecting people to Christ, His worship, His community, and His mission. To contact us or for more information, see our website at wildwoodchurch.org. Well, my name is uh, John Abernathy. I'm the care pastor, one of the associate pastors here at Wildwood. I'm honored to be able to share from God's Word with you guys this morning. Uh, Mark is not able to be here. He has been leading us through this series in First Peter, called True Grace, and he taught us through the first two chapters of First Peter, and then he wasn't going to be here today, so he said, "Hey John, do you want to teach?" And I said, "Sure, you know I'll teach." And um, should have looked a little closer at the passage first. So um, he <laughs> he left, and, and I looked at it, and, and it says, uh, "Wives, submit to your husbands. Don't wear jewelry." Um, it also said, like, uh, "Call your husband Lord." And I'm thinking, so you left town right when this came up in the series, right? And where's Bruce? And where are the rest of the people that normally do this? Um, nobody's here. So, um, great. Uh, no. Well, maybe we should just you guys just read it on your own in, the, in your seats. And then I'll just close us in prayer. They might pick that up on the podcast. We'll have to do something. In all seriousness, that this passage is the one that God has for us today. It's His. Powerful, life-changing word. It needs to be studied and applied. It's part of this series called True Grace, uh, Grit to Stand in Hostile Territory. We're studying the book of 1 Peter, which God wrote through Peter, to the believers that were scattered about what is today modern-day Turkey. Now, the summary verse uh, for this book is found in chapter 5, verse 12. This is the true grace of God, stand firm in it. And so we are seeking to stand firm, not in our own power, not in our rules, but in the grace of God as we live the Christian life. Before we look at this text this morning, I'm going to pray for us. So please bow with me. Father, this can seem and can be difficult material, and it, it can uh, really, really be something that we are nervous about or something that we fear. But, Lord, we know it's your word and it's your perfect order and it's your will. And so I pray that we would be teachable. I pray that we would be humble. I pray that you would show us as wives and as husbands how to live in this and that you would give us the power to do it. Lord, that that grace that comes from you in our salvation would be living and active in our sanctification as we apply this. Lord, we need you. And we call upon your name to give you honor and worship and praise today as we study. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, please open your Bibles up to 1 Peter chapter 3. If you don't have a Bible, there's Bibles in the uh, seat back in front of you, underneath the seat. 1 Peter chapter 3. I'm in verse 1. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, There is a lot in these verses, uh, but they shouldn't be studied in a vacuum. They're part of the section that Mark began teaching us through last week. You know, in our study of 1 Peter, uh, we found that uh, the believers were called strangers and aliens and pilgrims and sojourners, that they were, we are citizens of heaven, not of earth, and that as we live, we have a purpose, and that's for those around us to see God's uh, grace and His mercy and the Lord through our lives. And then in verse 13 and verse 18 last week, we saw these terms submit, and it said all people are to submit to the government, to our authorities that have been placed over us. And then in verse 18, we saw that slaves are to submit to their masters. And Mark talked about that this was uh, by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people, that there is this encouragement in how we live in God's order That brings God glory. Chapter 2 ends uh, with this word that Christ himself is our example of submission, that he suffered for our sin. Uh, This great passage in those last uh, verses of chapter 2, it says he is the example of true submission. And then today we have two more sections to look at. We have these first six verses which talks about submission of wives to their husbands so that their husbands will see the Lord through the wives and we have husbands, are to live in an understanding and honoring way with their lives and with their wives. So as we transition, that's the background. Remember, there aren't verse divisions in the text. So we're going to go right into this, and it's going to say likewise, wives, and then likewise, husbands. Okay. So look at verses 1 and 2 in chapter 3. Verses 1 and 2. Do you know a woman who has become a believer, but her husband is not? Or maybe a woman who is seeking to walk with uh, the Lord, seeking to follow God's plan for her life, but she's married to a man who is not, who is not actively seeking the Lord. Have you ever given her advice? Right? What, did, what did you tell her? might have been you. What advice did you get? Did you maybe talk about how she should approach her husband gently uh, to talk about her faith or maybe what books... She could read or maybe have him read or how to get him to maybe to come to church. Not a bad thing. Many of us have had that conversation. It even seems that, that the wife is the one who uh, can come back to the faith or come to the faith in the first place more often, right? The wife shows up. Um, well, God gives a lot of hope to that woman through this text today. He leads her in how to live with her husband, and he says this, that she's to show not tell her husband about Jesus. She is to show, not tell her husband about Jesus. Just the fact that Peter here is talking to wives who might come to faith without their husband, that that might be known, that is pretty incredible in that culture, right? In that culture, women weren't seen as equals to men. Men had the power, men had the control, even to the point that they could put their wives to death. Pastor John MacArthur says, In the Greek culture in which Peter lived, for a woman to change her religion without her husband doing it was unthinkable. Their opinion was considered irrelevant, immaterial, and unwanted. But this wife becomes a believer, and these followers of Jesus are saying that there is equality and there is unity amongst those that are in Christ. MacArthur continues, he says, It would be immensely embarrassing to the husband, because no woman ever did that independently of her husband. But now the gospel has come to all, Jews, Greeks, men and women, slaves and their masters, and in Christ, through the gospel, there is now unity, there is equality. And so she is seeking to see her husband come to faith. What should she do? Again, it says that she should show him, right, and that her husband can be won without a word by her conduct. How do you do that, right? How do you do that? How do you show them? This text says that the behavior of the wife can be instrumental in the husband being one to Christ, right? This is not what we may do. Maybe if you came to faith in Christ, you might... Maybe you'd post a picture on Instagram, right, with a few hashtags. Maybe he'll see that. I've, I thought of a few hashtags. You might post this, hashtag, pray for my husband, right? Hashtag, help me submit. Hashtag, anyone got a good apologetics book to leave open for him, Right? probably not going to be the way that you're going to show him, right? You're not probably going to accidentally drive into the Mardell parking lot, right? We were looking for office supplies, right? Who gets office supplies at Mardell, right? You're going there to show him a book or something, right? Um, you may not constantly ask him, well, well, hon, what would Jesus do, right? Probably not how you're going to show him. It says to do it without a word, you know? There is, there is love in this approach. There is respect for his fallen state. There is trusting God in this approach, right? You are not proving. You are not guilting. You are not debating. You're not being holier than thou. It's the wife letting the Holy Spirit change her inwardly and trusting God to use that inward change to reach her husband for Christ. Now, this wife has come to faith, and God has given her this instruction. And this happens today as well. But their husbands just aren't there. Right? They're just not there. Um, the, the husband may be apathetic, he could be hostile, no telling what he's acting like. Uh, the Bible says he's still dead in his sins. He doesn't have the Holy Spirit to guide him. He might not respond in a loving or kind way to his wife as she seeks to follow the Lord. You know, a husband might disregard it. He might blow off his wife's new faith. He might be threatened by it, right? He might uh, be threatened by her new believing friends, those people you're hanging out with. Make it difficult for her to go to church, mock her beliefs. You know, he might say, you're kidding, right? So, So what? You're gonna quit drinking, you're gonna go to church, take us all to potlucks. Seriously, you know, wife, this would be just like that time you tried that diet or something like that, and this isn't gonna work right he might see the wife in the midst of a difficult time an argument and say see that that Jesus stuff isn't helping you at all you still cuss and you argue and all that stuff right this might be difficult he might have his pride hurt all these different responses from from the husband as the wife seeks to show and not tell but the lord is in this the lord is in this and he is working um and the question might be, as you read these first two verses, are these verses just for wives with unbelieving husbands, right? Who is, who is this totally for? Um, there are differing opinions by commentators on that, on whether this is just for that in this passage. But there are other scriptures that talk to wives in this way. Colossians 3.18, wives submit to your husbands as it's fitting in the Lord. Ephesians 5, wives submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Uh, we submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Another verse, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands. And then there's the passages for husbands as well. And we'll get into ours here in in verse 7. But it does teach that these same principles are applicable to to all wives. And they're part of God's order for life. They're part of God's order. Even Christ is included in this order. And there's this passage in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 that says this. I want you to understand... That the head of every man is Christ, the head of a wife is her husband, and the head of Christ is God. Do you see that order? That last phrase? Pretty mind-blowing. The head of Christ is God. Alistair Begg, who's one of my favorite pastor teachers to listen to, gave a sermon on this text and he says this, he says, Christ, who is co-equal with the Father in all respects, Submits from all of eternity to do the Father's will. Not because he is inferior to the Father, but because it is vital and necessary for the purposes of God to be worked out from all of eternity. That Jesus delights to do the Father's will. Beg continues and he says that the husband and wife are equal before God. But in order for the family to function in harmony, the woman, with no loss of dignity, takes the place of the submission to the headship of her husband in the same way that Christ, with no loss of dignity, took the place of submission to the headship of his heavenly Father. Did you hear some of those words? I heard some of them. I heard equal before God, not inferior, vital and necessary for the purposes of God, delights for the family to function in harmony, no loss of dignity. It's into this order that we are all called. Right? Submitting carries with it this definition, this feel of arranging under. Right? Arranging under. Brian Chapel says it's to take what God has given you and arrange it under the purpose of another purpose, another person's good. To take what God has given you and arrange it under the purpose of another person's good. The wife is to use her gifts for the good of another person. A husband uses his authority for the good of his family. And so the wife's changed lifestyle. Her conduct shows her husband the Lord. And her husband is going to see her using her gifts in relationship to him to help him as he leads. It is show and not tell. Okay, let's move on to verses 3 and 4. It says, But let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves, by submitting to their own husbands. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you are her children if you do good, do not fear anything that is frightening. These verses, verse 3 and 4, uh, in Alistair Beck's sermon, he started joking at this point, saying at this at this point in my sermon, women in the congregation may start taking off their bracelets and sort of slipping them into their purses and undoing their hair and feeling embarrassed about their clothing that they have on. It's costs too much. And, no, this is not that. This is not a legalistic guide to women's clothing and hair and what they wear. It's God giving a definition of true, lasting beauty. It says that the true beauty of a wife comes from her inward adornment, her inward self, not what she wears or how she looks. The showing of your faith to your husband flows out of your inner self, who you are in Christ. Unfortunately, the world around us makes this very difficult, right? The woman may be portrayed as having value from their looks, from their husband, from the culture, from those social media posts, from magazines, Right? They can emphasize the value of clothing or of hair or of jewelry or having it all together and how they're put together. Right? This is devaluing to the incredible worth of women. It devalues them and just shows that it's all about looks. It isn't God's view of women. Right? Their beauty is from within. They have dignity. They have equality in Christ. You know, even when the world was completed... God said it was incomplete without women. Women are in the lineage of Jesus. They're in the hall of faith in Hebrews 11. There are women like Lois and Eunice who had their faith and passed it on to Timothy, who then wrote his books. So God says to women here, your true beauty is in the hidden person of the heart. Outward beauty will fade over time, but your inward and gentle, quiet spirit is imperishable. True beauty never fades. So what is this? What is this gentle and quiet spirit that is precious in God's eyes? Well, I believe that this flows out of a woman's trust in God, right? Your spirit can be gentle, humble, meek, considerate as you trust God to be in control, right? We all tend to be harsh and loud when we think we have to control the person or the situation, But God is in control, and we can actively trust Him to work. Gentleness comes from trusting God to work. It also comes from trusting uh, what He has done in your life as well. We know what we've been saved from. We know He's working in us to produce the fruit of the Spirit in us. And we place our trust in Him to work in others also, especially our, our spouse. Trusting God can allow you to be content in your situation. Does it mean that you never say anything or you never stand up for anything? No. You know, the same term, this meekness is used of Jesus. He describes himself this way in Matthew 11:29, 29, and he says that he is gentle and lowly in heart. But Jesus knew when to speak. Jesus knew when to stand up for the right person or the right cause. The issue might be that we're always thinking of Jesus when we're told this, but Jesus, he cleansed the temple, right? He silenced the Pharisees. Yes, but he was also gentle and compassionate because he knew that God the Father was in control. He knew. So this gentle and quiet spirit flows out of trusting God. It's very precious to him, and it's called the adornment that a woman should wear. They clothe themselves with this, this imperishable beauty. And this attraction can be strong enough to lead the husband to the Lord as he sees that. We see in verses 5 and 6 that holy women throughout history have hoped in God. It says they have adorned themselves with submission to their own husbands. Their hope, their lives, their trust in God to lead and provide for them. Because God is in control, they submit to their husbands. Now he gives us an example here in verse 6 of a holy woman submitting to her husband. Peter uses the example of Sarah. Okay. Um, it's interesting. Peter goes outside of his current culture to give an example of a woman who submitted to uh, her husband. And if you know this story, it's rather long. Uh, it's Genesis chapter 12 to chapter 23. So if you would turn there. <laughs> We're not going to have time to go through all of Genesis 12 through 23 But you know some of the story. Abraham was chosen by God, right? He was given the covenant. His wife, Sarah, was with him. They went through Canaan, and they went to Egypt, and they went to Canaan. Um, Abraham made good and bad decisions, right? Some of them you just go, oh, my goodness, why did you do that? Um, Sarah stayed with him, and then she gave birth in her old age. Remember the story her calling of Abraham of Lord in Genesis eighteen twelve um, showed that she respected him. Even after all of these years, even after all of these good and bad decisions, uh, she was still respectful of her husband and was still following him. So, Since you guys look asleep, maybe we should turn to the men. Women, you should turn to the men and just call them Lord real quick. And that'll wake, no, I'm just kidding. That'll wake you up a little bit. No, 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 we're not gonna do that. Uh, this this verse also says that uh, let me put my head down real quick. Uh, wives can be Sarah's children as they seek to do good. All right. This follows on that thought from Galatians three twenty nine where it says that believers are children of Abraham. So here it says that uh, wives can also be Sarah's children. And then it ends verse six with this exhortation to wives, and it says, "Don't fear anything that is frightening." Don't fear anything that's frightening. The word there is literally the word used for terror. And it doesn't, it doesn't say what it means. What does that mean? Don't fear. What am I not supposed to fear? Well, in this context, as I read it, it might mean that you're not supposed to fear what'll happen if you submit from the husband, from the world around you. There, there's a lot of things that you might fear, right? A, my, a wife might worry that the husband is going to walk all over her. She might say, this is old-fashioned. I'm submissive. My husband, he's just going to walk all over me. That's a fear. He says, don't fear. The Scripture says here that actually the opposite of that may happen. An unbelieving husband may be drawn toward faith. He may be drawn toward a new life in Christ as he sees the conduct of his wife. He says, the couple may have fought and yelled and they may have bossed each other around, but now the wife is full of the Holy Spirit. And her demeanor, her responses have changed. She has this very precious, imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit. She desires the best for her husband. And that's for his life to be changed by having a personal relationship with Christ. Her hope is in God. Her trust is in God. And because she trusts in God, she doesn't have to win every argument. She doesn't have to yell to change things. She trusts in God to work. She has a beauty uh, that won't fade. The hidden person of her heart is adorned by her gentle and quiet spirit. And she can release control to God for this. It's beautiful, it's attractive, and it, it can win the husband to Christ. You know, there are some other fears that you might have. What if you fear, you know, I'll voice my opinion, then he'll give his, and then he'll just get his way? And then what submission is? He gets the last word. Right, He'll always do it his way. That could happen. That should never happen. It shouldn't. The husband doesn't understand what he's got. Genesis 2.18 says that the wife is given to be a helpmate, to be a helper. It wasn't good for man to be alone. We need the leading of our wives in the decisions. We need her insight. Um, if she has a red flag about something, you better take that very seriously, even a yellow flag. Right. I was trying to think of... Big picture situations where Lori and I um, disagreed on something and I went forward, and I can't think of any. I trust her so much and where the Lord leads her that this would be a huge mistake, right? The goal should be that we have unity in our, in our decision. And if not, then we're probably reconsidering that. Well, what, what if the husband wants you to do something that's apart from God's revealed plan, right? You probably thought of this last week, verse 13, when we talked about the government, What if the government asked me to do something? And we know from Acts that the believers, uh, sometimes they followed the government's plan, sometimes they didn't, right? Um, If he's asking you to violate God's will, um, then you have to make a decision as to how that is going to play out in your relationship, what you're going to do with that, and get counsel from other people. Obviously, if this is an abusive situation, um, this type of submission has nothing to do with that. You need to get help in an abusive situation. It's not talking about that. Okay, but there are times where uh, you may have to go with what God says and not, not your husband. Well, how, how do wives learn about this? Is there is there like um, a book or a seminar or a session? Well, the Scripture gives us a way that, that women should learn. It's this passage from the book of Titus. You guys may be familiar with this. It's Titus chapter 2. It's on the screen. It says this. Older women are to teach what is good, and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. So as I read this, it doesn't say, husbands are to train the wives in how to do all these things, right? Right? It says, godly older women are going to teach and model and remind the younger women. They're going to teach them and remind them that their true beauty is inward. That's a gentle, quiet spirit. They can tell them about their struggles, their victories, and believing and walking in this truth. They can give them advice and how to live out these verses. And again, this is not the husbands. There should be no tonight, well, John said in church that, you know, it shouldn't happen. Right In the midst of an argument, men, you can't say, well, now you aren't being too quiet and gentle, are you? It right? doesn't happen. Not a good idea. It's the older wives. Now, husbands are not to be the change agents for their wives' submission, according to this. Instead, an active prayer for our church should be uh, for the older women to be leading the younger women. For the older women to be leading the younger women in our church. Husbands, I've seen you out there, and I have seen you nodding in agreement to the submission thing. I've seen you elbowing your wife. Some of you are downloading the podcast as I speak for her to listen to later, just in case you missed points, right? You're you're pointing down the aisle at your mother-in-law. That's you, that's you, right? Um, But there's something for us here as well. So look at verse seven. Verse seven, there's a lot in one verse. It says this, finally, all of you, Excuse me, likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. I just wanted to skip it. Um, Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. It says, likewise, just like the verse uh, in verse 3 1 says, so we're going to go back, um, just as women, just as slaves, just as our uh, appeal to submit to the government. Likewise, husbands. And then he says this You're to live with your wives in an understanding way to show her honor. This is a hypothetical question for the wives. Hypothetical means don't raise your hand, don't even make any facial expressions. Okay? How many of you really, deeply want to be understood by your husband? Right? Thank you. <laughs> hey, guys. Awkward moment where I need some sort of smoke bomb to disappear off the stage. Um, I may not be the, the top student in the room, but I bet 100% of you want to be understood by your husbands, right? Um, to the point that it's even laughable that husbands would go, do they really? Right? Um, they desire to be lived with in this understanding way. They, they, they may say it this way, I want to be known. I want to be understood. So how do husbands do this? How do you live with your wife in an understanding way? you have to get to know her, and in order to get to know her, I'm going to be blunt here with myself and with you guys, we, you have to stop being so focused on yourself. You have to start asking her questions, finding out what, she, uh, what makes her tick. Um, Lori, my wife, leads uh, women's Bible studies here at the church, and in their summer women's Bible study, some of you may have taken it, they have a thing called Secret Pals, okay? So they get this piece of paper, and it, it has all the, the list on it that they fill out says, I like, uh, I like this type of candy, I like this type of food, I like this in my life, God's teaching me this. There's a little information sheet that they fill out for their secret pal, then the secret pal gets the sheet. And then the next week, the secret pal brings something, either a card of encouragement or the candy bar they like or whatever it is, uh, and puts it in a little bucket for their secret pal. Why do women like that, right? Besides that you get candy bars, Because in a small way, it shows that someone knows them. And not only knows them, that they're using that knowledge of them to encourage them. As a husband, I'm supposed to be more than a short-term, summer-secret pal. I'm one flesh with my wife. I've taken a covenant before God to love and to to care for her. And so the husbands may be thinking, I want to live in an understanding way with my wife. Wish I had one of those forms. You got any of those, Lori? Four words here, shouldn't be that hard to understand. Just ask her instead. Just ask her. Talk to her. Ask her about her favorite foods. Ask her about her hopes, her dreams, what makes her tick. Ask her those things. Wives, if your husband does this, don't do this. Don't say, well, that's because John told you in the sermon to ask. Right? Yes, that's why they're doing it. That's why we have a sermon. They're told to do something and they're trying to follow through. Okay? Don't make them feel dumb that they don't know the answers to these things. Okay? Yes, you've been married 27 years and he doesn't know your favorite candy bar. Tell him, right? He's trying. Cut us a little bit of slack here. Okay? We're trying to understand you. And this understanding isn't just supposed to be about knowledge. We're supposed to, the text says, live with your wives in that way. We have to apply what we learn about our wives, we have to honor them, to cherish them. It says here that they are uh, the weaker vessel, probably talking about physical strength. It says they are heirs with us of God's grace. They are equally loved. They are equally saved. They are equally sealed by God through grace for eternity. We have to become the godly servant leaders that our wives want to submit to. We have to understand them. Peter gives a reason here at the end uh, very interesting. He says, so that the re- your prayers may not be hindered. Don't miss that. Live with your wives this way, with understanding, with honor, as heirs, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Right? What does that say? It says that your spiritual life, husbands, can be clogged, it can be obstructed, it can be blocked if you don't live with your wife in an understanding way. The word hindered carries the meaning of having an obstacle thrown in the way of your spiritual life. John Grudem writes, "So concerned is God that Christian husbands live in an understanding and loving way with their wives, that he interrupts his relationship with them when they're not doing so. No husband may expect an effective prayer life unless he lives with his wife in an understanding way." It shows us that our relationships here on earth can affect our fellowship with our heavenly Father. Reminds me of Matthew chapter 4 where it says, if you're offering your gift at the altar and you remember that your brother has something against you, that you're to leave your gift uh, but there before the altar and you're go, to go and be reconciled to your brother, then come and offer your gift. Right? He says, first go and be reconciled. You want your spiritual life to be healthy, husbands? First go and be reconciled. First understand. First seek to honor your wife. It's an important part of your spiritual life. This is a lot. This is a lot today. Right? It may be something that you've never thought about. Maybe something that you are totally been raised to be against. The S word. Right? Or the husband's doing something words. It's, It's a lot. But there is freedom in trusting God to work in our life, to change us internally. Right, to mold us and to shape us into what he truly sees as important and valuable. Father, thank you for your word. Lord, thank you for showing us these things about being a husband and a wife. Lord, help us. Help us to be molded into the image of your son and to follow your will and to be changed. Lord, help us as husbands and wives to, to trust you. to Trust you and to Seek to follow your plan and your purpose for our lives. Lord, be changing us. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen.